Vice President Lai Ching-te has announced on social media that he will be running in the by-election for DPP party chair. Lai is currently isolating at home after testing positive for COVID. He said he has made the decision after consulting many parties, adding that he has already reported on the matter with President Tsai Ing-wen. Let's hear the opinions of people in their party. I won't run in the by-election. I will just help the new party chair as much as I can from every angle I can. The chair will have to deal with the presidential and legislative nominations, as well as any further by-elections. This all is actually the result of a lot of discussions with many parties. Currently, the DPP only has one candidate in mind for the 2024 presidential election, and that is Lai Ting-de. We will assist him as much as we can. Over this period of time, Lai Ting-de has asked many people for advice and opinions. That's how he arrived at this decision now. This nomination hasn't given rise to a lot of rumors. He's quite suited for the position in the DPP. So I'd like to congratulate the DPP on that. A presidential office spokesperson confirmed that Tsai and Lai had previously discussed the direction for the DPP after the local elections. Lai had also spoken on the phone with Tsai on Thursday morning to inform her for his decision to run for DPP chair. Tsai gave Lai her blessing, stressing that as the ruling party, the DPP must stay united to meet the public's expectations. Meanwhile, Lai says he will do his utmost to shoulder the big responsibility and register his candidacy with Party Central next week. The DPP's and KMT's candidates for the Taipei Legislative by-election are in full campaign mode ahead of the vote on January 8. The DPP's candidate Enoch Wu on Thursday voiced a proposal to convert Songsan Airport into a park. Meanwhile, the KMT's Wang Hongwei says she will push for postponing the decommissioning of nuclear power plants 2 and 3 in New Taipei, saying that the public is concerned about electricity shortages. The race is on for the Taipei legislative by-election. DPP candidate Enoch Wu says his top policy proposal is to close down Songshan Airport. We expect that by 2030, the third runway at Taoyuan Airport will be completed. So my plan is that once the third runway opens, we transfer over the operations from Songshan Airport and turn the space into a park. Meanwhile, the KMT's candidate Wang Hongwei stood at a busy intersection in Zhongshan District to greet passers-by. Some people approached her and rolled down their car windows to show their support. One of Wang's proposals is to postpone the decommissioning of nuclear power plants number two and number three in New Taipei. On Thursday, she addressed criticism that she hadn't discussed the matter with New Taipei Mayor Hou Youyi. Many, many people are worried about electricity shortages and rising electricity rates. Politicians should be able to think for ourselves. I don't need to consult anyone except the public. 
The new Taipei mayor responded saying that having strict checks and standards for the plants was the most important thing, especially regarding nuclear waste. He called on the central government to take action and find a solution to dispose of the nuclear waste piling up in the plants. Acting Interior Minister Hua Jingqun on Thursday gave an update on the health of former Interior Minister Xu Guoyong. According to Hua, Xu's asthmatic condition has gotten worse since Monday, when he had tendered his resignation. Let's hear from Hua. Over the past few days, he's received eight steroid injections and eight antibiotic injections. His health is the main reason for his resignation. His voice is still extremely hoarse, and he keeps having coughing fits and coughing up phlegm. The executive Yuan on Wednesday approved Xu's resignation. The former minister has said he thanks President Tsai Ing-wen for all the assistance during his time in office. For now, the affairs of the Ministry of the Interior will be handled by Xu's deputy. Chinese Cultural University has an innovative solution to housing students. They've signed a contract with a nearby hot spring hotel to provide rooms as dormitories. From January, 250 students will move into the hotel, each paying as low as 17,000 NT per semester for the rooms. We paid a visit to the hotel in question. Could this be the future of university life? This room feels like a classic hot spring hotel suite, but it's soon to become a dorm for Chinese culture uni students. The university is working with a nearby hotel to provide 250 beds, over 125 new rooms, from next semester. We want to create a second living area for Chinese culture university here in Beitou. It's only a tiny bit more expensive than student dormitories, so we must stress that residents will have to pay extra to use the hot springs or other hotel services. Three types of rooms will be available at the hotel, a double room of 7.5 ping, costing 19,800 NT per person per semester, a smaller 5 ping room for 17,000 NT per person per semester, or more expensive single rooms at 28,800 NT per semester. All those prices include water and electricity. The university dorms cost less, at 10,000 to 15,700 NT per person, depending on size. But they're farther out from the city center. A room in a shared apartment might be more modern and comfortable, but could easily cost 30 to 40,000 NT per semester. The price difference with private apartments is enormous. When I was in my second year, I lived in an apartment for two people with bunk beds, and the beds were smaller than these ones here. Transportation is another big factor. Getting from CCU to Taipei generally means an almost hour-long bus journey, and the buses are often packed. But the Hot Spring Hotel is just a 10-minute walk from the Xinbeito MRT station. We have to take the bus down to Taipei, but it's always packed with people, weekdays or weekends. But here, it's very convenient. If we want to go into Taipei, there's an MRT station just next door. The hotel is 50 years old, and its amenities rather outdated, but all the basic facilities are fine, and the MRT station is a big plus. The 250 beds were quickly snapped up by CCU students keen to try the new dorm. Shoshanru will reopen on December 16 after more than a year of renovation. New to the zoo is a sky bridge that will transform the visitor experience. 
The zoo is also introducing capybaras, which will share a habitat with, with alcapas, miniature donkeys, and other herbivores. Let's take a peek inside the new and improved Shoshan Zoo. Cheeky little meerkats emerge from an enclosure and stretch their necks to look around. You can soon visit these furry friends at Kaohsiung Shoshan Zoo. A zookeeper interacts with an orangutan through a redesigned glass window. The zoo has undergone a 518-day renovation project with help from experts in order to improve animal welfare. It's built an elevated walkway to transform the viewing experience. In the past, visitors walked through the zoo on a flat plane. Now we have a three-dimensional sky bridge that runs slightly through the park. New to the zoo are these capybaras. They graze leisurely in a quarantine enclosure. Once their quarantine ends, they will live with alpacas, miniature donkeys and other herbivores in a single habitat. With animals like alpacas, miniature donkeys, miniature horses and yellow cattle, we're breaking down the old boundaries of their living spaces. We're letting these species live together in one space. Outdoors, there are several water pools for the capybaras to bathe in. Visitors can look through the observation corridor and see these animals up close. The clock is ticking down and the kids can't wait. Following its renovation, the 36-year-old zoo is ready to reopen on December 16th. Young and old are all invited to experience the new Shoshan Zoo. A TSMC ceremony for its fab in the U.S. state of Arizona, it was all big names in the tech sector. Besides TSMC's chairman, CEO and founder, there was also Apple CEO Tim Cook, NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang, Advanced Micro Devices CEO Lisa Su, and even U.S. President Joe Biden, who hailed the moment as the return of American manufacturing. My dream of 25 years ago, Previously, high costs, labor problems and cultural differences had made investing in the U.S. a nightmare for TSMC founder Morris Chang, who had said investing in the U.S. was a costly affair and a wasted effort. Since then, his stance has done a full 180. Globalization is almost dead. Free trade is You've got to imagine it as if the world were split in thirds, each with its own tech companies and trade investment groups. It's a revised version of globalization. In the past, production was concentrated in China and Taiwan. In the future, production will be spread in many different areas. So when countries turn into themselves and Taiwan goes out to service them, that brings Taiwan a lot of new opportunities. The analyst says globalization has changed, in part due to the U.S.-China tech war. Taiwanese companies are having to follow their clients to other parts of the world, which according to him is an opportunity for growth. But for TSMC, producing chips in the U.S. comes with costs about 50% higher than in Taiwan. 
The chipmaker has announced a total investment of 40 billion US dollars in Phoenix, Arizona, with 12 billion US dollars in the first phase and 24 billion US dollars in the second. By 2026, the fab is expected to have an annual production capacity of about 600,000 chips, a minute amount compared with Taiwan's output. Building up supply chains takes a long time, and in the U.S., there is more intrusion from non-economic factors. So if you want the fab in Arizona to make profits closer to fabs in Taiwan, I'm afraid that will take a very long time, more than five years. Amid a changing geopolitical landscape, TSMC has expanded in the U.S., despite the higher costs. Even if orders pour in, will the firm's profits be affected? It remains to be seen. Have you ever thought of chasing a dream before you feel too old to do so? Since 2007, the Hongdao Senior Citizens Welfare Foundation has been holding motorbike trips around Taiwan for adults aged 60 and up. In 2012, the foundation released a documentary called Go Grand Riders, featuring the stories of 17 older adults who embarked on the Round Island motorcycle trip. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang caught up with two of them to find out more about their life-changing journey. <laughs> Go Grand Riders is a documentary that follows the story of 17 older adults with a median age of 81 who embarked on a 730-mile, 13-day motorcycle trip around Taiwan. Of the 17 participants, two were cancer survivors and eight had coronary disease. All 17 had some degree of joint degeneration. Despite their condition, they weren't deterred from going on the ride. Two of the riders that went on the trip were Zhang Hongdao and Zhan Chen Yingmei, who were 70 and 71 years old at the time. This activity is really meaningful for older people like us. Before we went, they told us to do some balance exercises. We had to balance a book on top of our heads, which got some people eliminated. The organizers were very careful. They hired some volunteers and some people to accompany us. There was a car in the front and a bus in the back. If you were tired, you could ride the bus. If you traveled by car, you can only see the sights from a small window. But by riding a motorcycle, you can see a panoramic view. You can see the mountains, water, bridges, sky and sea. I think it was very adventurous. On the right is the sea. If you're not careful, you may accidentally fall into a deep hole, into the sea. On the left, it's all big rocks. I was nervous, but it was very thrilling. I also saw the kindness of Taiwanese people, which was very touching. <laughs> now the two are 86 and 87 years old. Although the trip was 15 years ago, they still remember it as if it were yesterday. They say they are happy to have been able to fulfill their lifelong dream of a round island trip of Taiwan. The event also opened up other opportunities for them, 
such as traveling to the U.S. for a road trip in 2013. We rode from San Francisco to Los Angeles. It was Route 9, the most beautiful one. In the past, I hardly left the house. I am very happy. I used to ride a bike, but now I'll ride a motorcycle. I think we should walk a straight path in our lives and not look right or left. We should concentrate on the path that should be taken and not take the wrong path. I was very touched by this event. I met these people and fulfilled dreams in my life. I think it's very meaningful. Since 2007, the Hongdao Welfare Foundation has held a round island ride to encourage older adults to chase their dreams and enhance the public's views and attitudes towards aging. So far, the event has been held 11 times with more than 350 participants. In 2012, the association released the documentary short film Go Grand Writers, which follows their journey. After the film was released, it topped the box office as a documentary and even had the opportunity to be shown in Hong Kong, South Korea and the U.S. A good event can change the life of an older adult, a family and a community. If you want to create a bigger impact, films can really convey the message. We now see that Taiwanese people view older adults very positively. Compared to 10 years ago, there's been very good progress. The journey around the island is a bit like the journey of life. You may think that older people cannot move around, but in fact, during the process of filming, I discovered that older people can do a lot more than everyone thinks. Even grandparents can accomplish a round island trip. The purpose of this film is to encourage older adults to do what they like. Some participants from the ride even climbed Yushan. It gave them the confidence to do things they thought they would be unable to achieve. The foundation held a press conference for the 10th anniversary of the movie's release, inviting the writers to share their stories. They hope to inspire more adults to continue to chase their dreams. FTV reporters Stephanie Yang and Li Han in Taipei. And now we turn to Taichung to meet a housewife who is giving her cooking gifts to benefit her community. Three years ago, Lai Meiru started making charity launch boxes for the homeless. Before long, many of her friends and passionate cooks from the district wanted to join in. Now it's a major event inspiring neighbors with the joy of giving. Many cooks bustle about, some ladling out rice and others doling out carefully prepared vegetables. As a gifted cook, Lai Meiru saw her chance to help others by bringing together this group of housewives and friends. They work together to produce charity lunchboxes. I love cooking, so I thought I could use my cooking skills to help people living on the street. My friends heard that I wanted to do it, and they all really supported it. And one by one, they all joined in. They buy ingredients at the market at first light, agree to gather at the day's menu, then wash and prepare the vegetables, and have a lot of fun doing it. I think it's a great idea and a very fun way to do it, so I'm very happy that Meiru invited me to join the team. 
I think it's a wonderful thing to contribute, even if only a little bit. The 50 vegetarian lunch boxes of the day each contain five different delicious and nutritious dishes, as well as fruit for dessert. When they're ready, they're delivered straight to the local homeless social welfare foundation. For a long time now, three years, Meiru has been bringing mothers and grandmothers together to provide these healthy vegetarian lunches on Tuesdays every month. It's good to have compassion. Society does better with a bit of warmth and love. The charity lunchboxes are not just a tasty meal, but a way to spread love in the community.